0: Everybody. welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. ID I am your host, Michael Mallon, and today I'm really excited to be talking with Tom Eastman, who is the president of Trinket Studios, and their most recent game is something that I've been playing quite a bit and tweeting quite a lot about, if you follow me on Twitter, um, Battle Chef Brigade. Uh, he previously worked at Wideload and Disney, had some mobile games and uh just really interested to uh, get his perspective on a lot of different topics of gaming. So, Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: I guess just diving in right away, I had thrown out a... kind of <laughs> trying to activate the hive mind on Twitter. I was just looking for a new game to play, and somebody had recommended Battle Chef Brigade, which I had never heard of, and I looked at a trailer, and I was like, oh, that looks kind of intriguing, okay, sure, I played it. And I've just been enamored with that game over the last few weeks, so then... I reached out to you and was curious to see if you wanted to come on the show, and the powers of social media, you decided to come on. So thank you very much for your time here today.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. It's funny to hear. um, I I love hearing when people say that they really enjoy the game, but it's also terrifying when people haven't heard of it yet.
0: Yeah, what what is that like for you? Because this is something that you've been working on. I, you know, I was looking at other interviews that you've given in the past. I mean, this has been going on for years now that you've been working on this game.
1: Yeah, it's been over four years, wow. and so when we did a Kickstarter, and and you just know as an indie that you're fighting obscurity and not really whether or not your game idea is good or whether or not your like technical chops are up to the challenge. It's really, you got to make sure that you're reaching as many people as possible because you're trying to get this like tiniest fraction of the audience to pay attention to you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's something that's interesting. I'd, I'd be curious your thoughts about that. One of the things that I think with social media and this happens in politics and I certainly in sports and like other interest areas that I have, everything's so fragmented. And it seems like. Gaming journalism, for better or for worse, is kind of in the same boat where there's a ton of different sites. There's maybe a handful of magazines that are still out there. What's it been like to market, from your perspective, as an independent developer?
1: Well, there are, there are really two phases for us. The first one was before we had a publisher, and the second one was after. Yeah. Before we had a publisher, we recognized that marketing was going to be one of our biggest challenges, and very early on, when we when we founded Trinket Studios, about five and a half years ago now, our big thing was that we started tweeting. <laughs> None of us had Twitter accounts or thought Twitter was particularly interesting, <laughs> but it seemed to be the thing that indie game developers did, and so we decided that we better open up some Twitter accounts. And so, from the founding of the company to our Kickstarter, that was our our biggest marketing attempt. It was really just Twitter and then emailing press, very carefully uh, gathered email addresses of press mm-hmm. um, for our first two mobile games. And we just email them and say, here's a cool thing. And, and we'd really stress over how many megabytes the GIFs should be in the, or whether or not there should be GIFs in emails and things like that. Um, and whether or not there should be limericks in emails. <laughs> that was something I tried. And, it didn't really seem to be very effective. Okay. But we really didn't know what we were doing. Our, our whole It was really Twitter as our sort of ongoing attempt, a website. And then we tried to make really, really good trailers for our mobile games. And that worked out pretty well for one of our mobile games. So there was just a, a big, scary struggle, and we really didn't know what we were doing. And we recognized that. So then when we got a publisher, that was one of the biggest things that we wanted to offload onto them. And that was still an interesting experience. So that meant that we got help with the trailers and they already had tons of email contacts and personal contacts. So we got to do things like a press tour or two and uh send out Battleship Brigade themed easy bake ovens <laughs> to a lot of influencers and it's hard to tell how much those things really matter. Like oh, we got some cool tweets and lots of good articles and the press reception's been really good, but It seems like the biggest things that matter the most are the platform, so in our case, the Switch and Steam features. And if you get the really good console features, you can be in great shape. And so that's really the biggest way that people seem to find games, So, which is sort of entirely separate from marketing itself. So I don't know. We we haven't really figured it out in either of those phases.
0: Sure. It sounds like it's work in progress. And the publisher is Adult Swim Games that you linked up with? Correct. Okay. And it seems like the, you know, I, I got Battleship Brigade for the Switch, and so far the Switch has mainly been a Zelda device for me, which I've got one of the things I want to talk about is, I like, Zelda is a game that I think it's it's amazing, but it's it takes a lot of time, and time mm-hmm. is a commodity that I just don't have a lot these days, between work and family. I have, you know, a one-year-old, you know, sitting down and playing this huge open world game, while in theory sounds awesome. In practice, it just, it's kind of cumbersome. And one of the things I've been really enjoying about Battleship Brigade is that it's fairly linear. It's kind of this uh, packaged experience. There's a story, it's very engaging. And from your point of view, was that something you kind of locked in on early, that you wanted something that was more straightforward and I don't know if linear is the best word, as opposed to, you know, a lot of the games now are just these open-ended endeavors that you could play for tens, if not hundreds of hours.
1: So we actually went through an interesting sort of roller coaster with the scope of the game, Mm -hmm. which I think is pretty common for indie games. When we started off, we were sort of imagining a world of uh, a world obsessed with food and you'd be sort of traveling through this open world where um, sort of like Pokemon, except you were collecting ingredients and food and recipe books. And whenever you'd be traveling somewhere, you could get waylaid by bandits, except instead of like some sort of combat, you'd get challenged to a cooking duel in the forest. Um, and so very early on, that was our sort of blue sky concept that it would be this, world where everything is resolved with cooking duels. Um, and then we, we scaled it back a lot when we realized that that would be ridiculous and we sort of <laughs> focused it down to this tournament structure, which we really liked and we thought during the Kickstarter that that would enable us to have multiple really simple playable characters and they'd just be sort of plug and playable because the story was just in this wrapper of a tournament bracket. So it was like all the way in the other direction where it was going to be very simple and just you fight this person, then you fight this person, then you fight this person, and after some number of those, you are, are have won the tournament and you've made it into the brigade. Then we have there are only three of us, and none of us are designers, so our, our design style is sort of up in the air most of the time and prototyping one one mechanic, throwing it out, trying it a completely different thing. That was especially the case with the cooking system. Mm-hmm. And when we finally figured that out, we sort of couldn't. We had over-designed it because we were so focused on how to make a fun cooking system that the cooking system was way far out ahead of the combat system. And eventually we sort of brought it all back together but realized that we'd made uh, a cooking system that had a lot to teach. And so that's when we added back into the game – some of the story elements and particularly the jobs in town so that you can have you can go to Belkir's workshop and do some puzzles that are a variant of the cooking and then you can go to the restaurant and do another variant of the cooking and of course there's the hunter's guild as well for combat and we realized basically we we ended up with too many cooking mechanics and we paired some of them away but sort of expanded the game back out To fit the number of the the cooking style and all that we had to teach there, as well as fitting all the characters and story in. Mm -hmm. But that whole time, we really did want to keep it focused. We wanted to make sure the player wasn't doing busy work that we didn't think was an important part of the structure. And we made a lot of it optional. So if if some player doesn't want to do restaurant mode every day, there, there's really no reason to. You don't have to. It's really for the story and practice and getting a little more money for the shop. And so we really wanted it to be like a friendly, accessible game, at least on normal difficulty, so that everyone could experience it and it wouldn't take up too much time. We certainly didn't want any review to say this game was too short <laughs> mm-hmm. because that that can be like really tough for indie games mm-hmm. but we also didn't want to be adding fluff and so it was it was sort of hard managing that balance but i think we did an okay job
0: <laughs> yeah like i said i've been enjoying it i don't know how many hours i've i've put into it i don't really keep track but i think i'm more than halfway through the game now i just passed the f- final three which was Good times. Uh, just the, <laughs> the entire game, I, and I always think of this from, you know, my perspective. And I've talked about this with some other like game designers on, on previous shows, where, you know, my perspective in the mental health background, like thinking about reinforcement schedules and how people learn things, and in the game, it's it's kind of interesting to see. Well, what do you get rewarded for? What behaviors are you kind of taught along the way? And in this game, Battle Chef Brigade, it all seems very clean. So you're kind of introduced to a mechanic and then as you progress, it's like, oh, here's a kind of a wrinkle, or here's a complication, here's something else to consider, and you get a new mechanic, and that repeats itself along the way, but it all seems like very well thought out and paced and hearing you talk about it and also looking at some of the previous interviews that it seems like that was very much there was a lot of iterations of trying to figure out how that all lined up well.
1: Yeah, that was that was a huge struggle and resulted in a lot of rewriting of the story, (laughs) which we're going to try to do better in the future because it it was a really painful process. Mm -hmm. And it meant that we ended up with only about a month to record all the voiceover. But I think that that was something that we really enjoyed. And it was sort of came out of the fact that we had a fairly standard structure to the day's of the game Mm -hmm. where you'd go into town and you could do the jobs and then you'd duel someone and you'd have a chance to come back and do any jobs or shopping that you miss. And then you get to go to sleep. And so that meant that the story to some degree could be separated from the gameplay pacing. And so I could tweak what day a certain puzzle showed up without it ruining the actual story for that day. And that that ended up being a huge blessing because we did a lot of that rearranging (laughs)
0: And for folks that have not played the game or are not familiar with it, the way I try to describe it to a friend of mine it's kind of like Shinobi mixed with Dr. Mario, mixed with American Idol, all mixed in with some role-playing game elements, and it's all one game, which, (laughs) again, I've been very much enjoying it. It's incredibly unique, and I think from some of these, again, kind of these long-form, big RPG games, which I love and I grew up loving – this is a, I really appreciate how this is a little bit of a different experience and it picks out different elements of games that I enjoy and it's all one thing and it's wrapped up the, you know, the art is wonderful in the game. And then I, I find the story just incredibly engaging. I like the characters. I, I just kind of bought into the world. I was like, okay, of course. To make a meal, you have to go out back and kill monsters. That's just the way it is in this world. Mm-hmm. And I think the game does a good job of introducing players to that. And just there's never like a wink or a nod. It's like this is the way it is, and you just buy into it. And was that a struggle at all with with the game to get people hooked in early on?
1: Absolutely. You know, the part of the reason that uh, it took four years was that we would take it to conventions like PAX or Indie PopCon more locally. And mm-hmm. um, we'd have people play through basically a demo that is pretty close to the beginning of the game and realizing the importance of, like, getting the the basics of cooking in, like, okay, it's sort of like a match three that's Mm -hmm. contextualized with some cooking, and then immediately, as quickly as we could, sending players out to the backyard to hunt monsters was, was really clear, and it took us a while to really nail exactly what the player needed to understand at each phase of the game and how early we could introduce combat or how early we can introduce like how the pantry works or spells and so that that was a big struggle throughout
0: you know i've really enjoyed different mobile games where you have to match stuff and i think for well over a year i was playing marvel puzzle quest which is one of those match three games but it just has marvel characters skinned on top of it Mm -hmm. and i thought about a lot of those games it's again, that kind of behavioral reinforcement of, you know, if you play so many days then you unlock a character or you get coins and you can spend on other characters. And what I like about this game is there's really not that element to it. There's no loot crates. There's no, like the game's there and Mm -hmm. you don't have to buy anything additional. Once you have the game, it's, it's like, it's not, it's like you're trying, you're not trying to bleed players as they're going along.
1: Yeah, for, for better or for worse, the three of us really hate those sort of gambling mechanics mm-hmm. and have, have just avoided putting them in our games, and that was sort of especially difficult with our two mobile games, where it was very clear that the market appreciates or uh, supports games that have those sort of features, but we just don't like playing those sorts of games and didn't want to put them in our games, so we... Both of our mobile games ended up at $0.99 cents because of that, which we probably could have made more money a different way, but we just felt like it wasn't the right path for us. And and that certainly carried through with Battle Chef Brigade. We we have played some free-to-play games, and especially back at Load Disney, we were encouraged to research a whole bunch. And for a bit, we were going to make a free-to-play game. But yeah, we just don't seem to enjoy those as a team and so mm-hmm. we just couldn't bear the thought of putting make. I mean it would be sort of silly for us to make one and not even understand what makes that model successful so we just thought we're just going to make a good game the sort of game that we would have liked to play when we were a kid when none of that sort of loot box stuff even existed so it was it was an easy uh, design path to follow From our childhoods,
0: the the good old days when you bought a game and you you had the whole game, you didn't have to unlock anything else. The other thing I like about the game, which again kind of suits my, I think, play style, is so from time to time you're doing the cooking and the the hunting, and there's a there's a time limit, so you have to go hunt some monsters, collect ingredients, come back into the kitchen cook which is this like you drop ingredients into a pot and you're mixing and trying to do the match three and all the while there's a clock running down and there's one or more judges that you have to impress you have to present your meal before time runs out and that whole mechanic is i found that just kind of brilliant because there's a lot of times where it skinned down to less than ten seconds. And it's like, well, I can't do anything else. I just need to do whatever, finish whatever I'm doing, and run over to the desk and turn my dish in. And it also is combined with this. Well, let me just try to do one more thing, and invariably I get there with like two or one seconds left and just beat the timer. And it, I wrote on Twitter, it's like way more invigorating than it seems to have any right to be, <laughs> but it's yeah, really a lot fun. of fun.
1: Thank you. That was that was one of the really key features that we wanted to capture from a lot of the sort of cooking competition shows that we took inspiration from, including Iron Chef and Chopped and Master Chef, where there's always that time pressure and you see someone sprinting (laughs) to serve their dish just in time. And we it's sort of fascinating for me listening to you now describing these mechanics Mm -hmm. because it's it gives me a glimpse into the perspective that I have lost from being so close to the game for so long, because I just see that this game is exactly as it should be, mm-hmm. um, despite the, I guess so. The the timer and hunting and cooking were two were the elements that existed in the game from almost the very beginning of development because we wanted to capture that cooking competition feel. Sure, and the struggle to make sure that that all worked was hard, but. That was like sort of a core thing, that if if we didn't nail that experience of running to serve a dish to a judge, then none of the game should really exist. (laughs) That was the thing that we wanted to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think without that time limit, there'd be less – and I think this word has a negative connotation – but there'd be less distress for me as a player. Mm -hmm. I'd just be like, oh, well, I can – I can kind of leisurely go out there and hunt and search for the specific ingredients I need and come back and really think about, okay, what makes the most sense here? And I think, again, one from a learning perspective, the first few battles, it's like, wait, what button goes back to the pantry? How do I drop things in the dish? How do I spin things around? And now I almost feel like a savant. (laughs) I'm like like taking things from a pot, taking it to a chopping board or a cutting board, cutting things Mm -hmm. up, going back into the other type of pots that instead of match three, it's match two. And then you're zipping back and forth. You're going out to hunt. You're coming back. And you really, as a player, it feels like you're learning the game. and to me you're also like that character Mina who's you know the character you play in the game it's like she's learning too you're kind of mm-hmm. bonding with the character in the game and it has a um, I don't know it just sucked me in so I know I sound kind of fanboying about it but I've just really enjoyed the experience how, how did you settle on Mina as a protagonist
1: well we, we really just wanted to have a female protagonist we wanted to have a character that we could all relate to to some degree. And Eric sort of designed a cast first, and then we chose who might be the main character. So, obviously, the the, the main four characters are Mina, Thrash, Kieran, and Ziggy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all sort of enjoyed Mina's... Uh, as you were saying, the player gets a somewhat parallel Mina's learning experience, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't feel like that was the case with really any of the other characters, and we sort of liked how Mina gets to be a little selfish or sort of pointed, and she's an interesting character because she's really nice, but also in a hurry, mm-hmm. and we felt like players players can be just like that, and I think for Eric, in particular, Eric's our art director and creative director, and he. he was a character concept artist at Disney, Wideload. And so his his strength is really coming up with these characters. And into Mina in particular, he wrote a lot of himself, like getting up late. <laughs> and so I, I think he felt that Mina was the one that he could write the best. And we sort of carried that through. We all felt like having a, a fast rogue like character was a perfect fit for the first character. And that worked out really well.
0: Yeah, and the, the entire cast is really interesting. It almost feels, kind of reminds me of, like I don't know, like old Final Fantasy games or something where you have a crew, there, you walk around town, you meet these different people, like, like Thorne is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> like I took a screen cap of Thorne, I put it on Twitter, I was, it was like our first time I met her, mm-hmm. I'm like... Thorin's seen some stuff. Like, she's been through a lot. <laughs> it's like, I want to know what's going on with her. And, like, Thrash is interesting, and it's just – and, again, like you mentioned, that stuff is optional. Like, I imagine you could kind of blitz through the game without even talking to people. But to me, that's like kind of half the fun of kind of learning about the world and who these people are and why they're there. It just seems to be really um, – From a story perspective, it just kind of, again, sucks you into the world and uh, just makes me enjoy playing the game.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the really nice things that we didn't really realize until very late in development is that the fact – the art style really contributes to that, Mm -hmm. we think. Because instead of having these little like pixel characters or like 16 by 16 little blobs – or like little, tiny characters with big heads um we actually drew basically life-size anime illustrations and you can get so much personality across when you can really see someone's face and their pose and then and their posture and uh, and see them change depending on what you're saying and all that and i like I how they em- they
0: emote almost like sims characters like uh-huh. those little <laughs> waves or something coming out of their head when they're stressed out and yeah, I thought that was just another way to add more kind of depth to the animations.
1: Yeah, figuring out how to get across as much personality as we could without spending even more time on art. We ended up with quite a few uh, freelance artists helping out, but Eric still did all the character stuff. And so he, he was very busy, and so we were trying to figure out how to like get across some of that um, – some of those emotes and the poses – in the most economical way possible where we can get across the character, but without him drawing a million different poses. And I I think we hit the right balance and no one has, like for us, it was a huge decision to not have idle animations and just have this sort of graphic novel style Mm -hmm. where characters fade in and out. But I think it ended up working really well where people accept it as this sort of graphic novel comic book thing and and probably the voiceover really sells it
0: (laughs) yeah it seems like you have quite a bit of voice voice talent who have been involved in other games and other endeavors
1: yeah i think we sort of just got lucky with that Mm -hmm. our audio director is just a freelancer who was doing this after his normal job and during our kickstarter we got a whole bunch of emails from voice actors and Apparently if whenever you run a video game Kickstarter you get inundated with emails from composers and freelancer freelance um voice actors. Mm-hmm. And so that happened to us and then we just had this giant spreadsheet of voice actors who had contacted us after the Kickstarter, some of whom were even backers, and we just sent it over to George, our audio director, and said, Hey, tell us like who's good and then we'll start matching them up to characters and it turned out that um Erica Mendez who plays Mina, is an extremely accomplished anime voice actress, and, and she's actually from Chicago. And okay. The same as us. Right in your backyard, had, yeah. Yeah, we had no idea. And, and we cast her purely on her talent, and then found out that she had played all these other really great characters in anime. Um, so that was just like a really wonderful surprise. And, and it was across the board that we just sort of got lucky. And a few people few people in the cast aren't particularly famous, but we found the spots in their portfolio reels that sounded like the character that we'd been staring at for years. And it just worked out really well that they could do that that perfect voice in our world.
0: One of the things I wanted to pick your brain about is the character of Cayman, who so far and as far as I am into the game is just really just acts as a hype man. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> yeah, and I compared him on Twitter. I said, you know, he's probably the best herald this side of Chaucer from A Knight's Tale because I have a real soft spot in my heart for that movie. But like before these battles, he just has this very impressive and. I'm going to say flowery delivery of how important this competition is and how sacred these uh, beasts are that we're hunting and here are the dishes that you need to make. And it just does a good job to get you kind of hyped up for like, okay, this is important. I need to do this. How did that character, was he always part of the basic uh, recipe, no pun intended, or did that develop develop later?
1: Yeah, he he was there from the beginning and he's – very he's got a lot of parallels at the least um to the chairman chairman kaga from iron chef japan and or i guess iron chef america also has that sort of character but iron chef japan in particular was a big influence on him and in iron chef the chairman is that that exact character basically Mm -hmm. sort of completely He's a character who's completely bought into this world of yes. food and how important that food is. And and we we just felt like that was a really important role where the player can enjoy sort of immersing themselves into how ridiculously <laughs> important this is. And when we had uh, Tom Taylor and voice him that put it over the top where you really feel how how seriously ridiculous this all is. And I think that's the sort of, like, uh, that's the best kind of escapism where it's an enjoyable but ridiculous world that you get to enter into.
0: That's a really good, I think, summary of why this game has just sort of activated me, I think, at a specific time in my life where I needed something like this. Um, Like, the last game that I really got into was Battle Chasers, which was a lot of fun. Played that on PS4 Raced through that game, really enjoyed it, and I've kind of struggled with these big open world games with having a newborn, and then now he's one. Just really haven't had a time to sink my teeth into. Again, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. So this this game, which is it's serious but it's whimsical. It's like you buy and in, spy into the world, and like there's interesting characters. You can play it in brief periods of time, but still make meaningful progress. And if you do hit a slip up, so if you do have a battle against somebody and your dish isn't good enough, or maybe you didn't bring the right tools to it, it's not like you get set back to a checkpoint that's 30 minutes ago and it's like you wasted your time. You can just reload and start over again, which is a mechanic that, I don't know if the mechanic is the right word, but it's just a design that I really appreciate because I don't feel punished for playing the game. And I know there's some games, like which I enjoy, games like Darkest Dungeon, where it is kind of punishing <laughs> to play that game. And this game doesn't feel that way. It feels like you're rewarded for playing, you learn something each time, and then if you do have a setback, you can kind of learn from it and do better the next time pretty quickly. And again, how purposeful is that from your point of view?
1: That was fairly purposeful. I think... The, the sort of general structure or let's put it this way. I think our design over time sort of converged in this direction where we wanted a very positive set of systems. And probably the best example of that is bone and poison in the game for a long time when we were designing just within a, just a cooking system and we had sort of ignored all the hunting or different aspects of the game, all the items, and we were just focusing on, like, how can we make a really interesting 4x4 four four grid game with these taste gems? We, we felt like we had to make it hard, I guess, or we had to make it into a real puzzle. And it turns out, in the larger scope of the game, that it's not really important that it's a puzzle specifically. And we put all the puzzles even fairly simple puzzles into Belkier's workshop. But in the actual duel, you don't really need to make a puzzle. In some sense, you're making your own puzzle Tetra style and then solving it. Mm -hmm. But it's not important that you're punished or penalized. Um, And so originally, if you had bone in your dish, you couldn't stir anything that was touching bone.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: And poison would... uh, instead of making gems next to it when it explodes, instead of making them fragile, it would make the adjacent gems into poison as well. And so you could have these chain reactions of poison where your whole dish would end up as poison. And that was really great from a sort of cooking puzzle mechanics uh, system sense, Mm -hmm. where if it had just been a mobile game and you had a little 4 by 4 grid of taste gems, that could have been an interesting mechanic where you're really trying to think about your moves and avoid using poison. But a couple of years ago, we realized that that wasn't really the sort of game we were making. We want all these things to have positive effects. Like you players would just never put poison or bone into their dishes. And so we, we wanted that to be a fun active part and you're sort of choosing to challenge yourself. And so now if you match three, uh, bone, you get the sort of rainbow wild card gem. And if you match three poison, you get a little combo fuse. And so we ended up going for this sort of opportunity for players to introduce more challenge into their dishes instead of a purely negative sort yeah. of attack on your enjoyment of the game. <laughs> and yeah. so, and we left it in that uh, the player would get slightly penalized if they leave poison in the dish when they serve it to the judge, but it's not a very big penalty, and at any point you could have just stirred the poison a little more and it would have exploded and made some things fragile, but it would have been okay. And and so that carried through with like how fragile ended up working and um, a lot of how the combat ended up working, and basically all the items in the game... Um, we wanted them all to be sort of overpoweredly fun <laughs> instead of being overly complex. And I think that, and that's why we limited it to three, of course, in each category, but we sort of tried to carry that, that theme through the whole game where you, there are opportunities for bonuses instead of the threat of penalties.
0: Yeah, and I, and I feel like once those, like, the bone and poison are introduced, it's it's a little bit of a risk-reward, that if, mm-hmm. if you put those items in there, you can, um, like you said, combo them to get some, the wild card gem or um, the combo fuse, and one of the things that I've done, which I, I think I tend to do this in games, I sort of find out an approach that works for me fairly consistently, and I just stick with it, so... Like, I have this one kind of combo pot that I use, and then the cutting board's in the middle, and then I just kind of guess, all right, which upgraded, like, match-two pot should I bring to this battle? Mm -hmm. And I kind of approach every cook-off that way, (laughs) which I don't know if... I'd be interested to talk to other players to see how, like, what's their loadout, so to speak. Like, how do they... Do they use the oven? Do they do different things? But that works for me, and I'm really enjoying it so if i do have a dish and i'm running out of time and it has some poison or something in there i just zip over to the cutting board and cut Mm -hmm. cut that out and so far that's working for me but the fun thing is i think if i was to play through it again maybe i would try a different approach and Mm -hmm. and see how that works um do you kind of see a lot of different approaches to people playing the game
1: i think i think the most common approach, at least amongst the players who are vocal and write long messages on the Steam forums, is the combo pan, cutting board, and uh, I don't remember what the actual game, right. what, what the actual player name of it, but it's the oven that in in the code is called the continuous promote oven. Okay. It might be called just something like the crock pot, <laughs> um, but. Or that was the crackpot was that what we were gonna call it before we categorized pots, pans, and ovens mm-hmm. neatly. But basically, the the oven that um, continuously upgrades gems inside of it. I think that's the the most common. But then, like you said, we wanted to make sure that replayability was available, and so there are lots of other pots and pans and ovens that. Can be useful sometimes, and we especially got to show them off in the daily cook-offs, mm. where you have a random set of items each day.
0: Yeah, and it's the same thing with with combat. I know, like early battles, I would you kind of venture from right to left into the mm. uh, kind of fighting area, and there are a few different battles where I'd keep going left, and I'm like, oh, there's that big dragon thing that kills me really quickly. I'm just going to stay away from him. Until eventually Cayman tells you, you, you need dragon ingredients. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> so that was one of those uh, first tries where I got wrecked. And I was like, well, let me try this different dagger that slows enemies down. And the dragon became much less of a threat. So there's, you have different tools to solve different problems. And I imagine a lot of players just have options to solve problems in different ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really wanted to sort of capture different playstyles, and I know that that's like common in game design in general. It, it's a good good thing to try to pull off, but I think it was especially important to us because we knew that we might attract a puzzle game player who isn't used to spell combat or vice versa, and so we wanted to make sure that you know if if you were afraid of combat, you'd have some options you could buy more combat oriented items to help you help you get through or buy more health Mm -hmm. or if you're you know really good at the combat but not so good at the cooking you could buy certain ovens to sort of alleviate that pain and i know some of our hardest core players were sort of like oh this is this is too easy but we really wanted the players to be have the opportunity to challenge themselves Mm -hmm. instead of sort of being forced to learn exactly the same skill set as someone else. Yeah.
0: And there are two modes, and I'm, I'm playing, I guess, on the normal difficulty. I mm-hmm. I figured, let me start on this and see how it goes. <laughs> did, so how, how much of a step up is the, I guess, is, is it called difficult? or
1: it, Yeah, hard difficulty is much harder, okay. I think. It basically, there are a few few changes. For instance, the hunts. In normal do not have uh, time limits, but on hard they do. And that, that was sort of, I could have brought that up earlier. That was one of the decisions, like pacing wise, the duels are stressful enough. Let's make it so that all the puzzles and the hunts are not timed, at least on normal, so that you, you could do them at your own pace and not feel rushed. So the, the hunts are timed in hard difficulty, which is, a significant, fairly significant, it could be pretty hard. You have to really know how to combo your different attacks together. The AI Chefs score significantly higher, so you really have to be um, hitting, like, if you have the combo pan, you really need to be hitting, like, nine-plus combos and then having just the gems ready to upgrade them all optimally and all that. Um, The monsters do a lot more damage, which is pretty significant, especially later in the game when you the mutated monsters are like the plant bugs are shooting three thorns instead of one um, it become you, you're in much more danger of losing your health and dropping your, your ingredients but probably the biggest or the most interesting change to me is that there's no adaptive difficulty and that was so on normal whenever you lose or win a match the game tries to estimate what your skill level is and adjusts the AI opponents a little bit, Mm -hmm. and so the the intent there is that if someone's having a really hard time on a given battle after restarting a couple times, it'll be a little easier. There's still a good amount of variation due to how the AI works, so you might actually it might have gotten easier um, internally, but they actually score higher (laughs) for one round or something because there's a lot of variation. But um, the intent was to to make the game playable and not. You know, So a player who's not very good wouldn't get hit by a brick wall and just have to give up. But then we also wanted it to get a little harder if a player is doing really well because we don't want a player to go through this whole really hard tournament and never feel challenged. And so we wanted to make sure that it could get hard enough that they hit um, a little bit of an obstacle and get to figure out be challenged enough to think about their loadout, for instance, or think about another tactic, think about... Yeah. Make, uh, make them sweat a little bit. <laughs> exactly. And so there's some sort of that dynamic difficulty on normal that I think is really important for, for games to find that sweet spot where the player is challenged just the right amount. And that was something that we... Um, put a lot of thought into on our first mobile game, Color Sheep, where it was very much an arcade game. Mm. And so it was very important that a player could hit their flow state where the challenge was just right very early on. Um, but then on hard difficulty in Battleship Brigade, there is, there is none of that. It's just <laughs> really hard the whole way just through.
0: Just relentless the whole way through. Yeah. <laughs> So the game has been out now for six months or more. Or how long has it been out?
1: Oh, two months. Okay, it came out on November twentieth.
0: Okay, and what's how's the reception or how's the kind of opening been going from your perspective?
1: From well, there there are a few facets. From a critical perspective, from reviews and our Metacritic and all the Steam reviews, it has been very positive, and that, that's been really wonderful. From a personal perspective it's been weird (laughs) how so (laughs) um finishing up to some degree we've been postponing aspects of our lives to be able to work on this and try to finish it we made a lot less money doing this than we could have if we had retained normal jobs and since we're self-funded up until we had a publisher and that doesn't really cover much and so they're like you know moving, getting a new car or like a new used car or moving into a larger apartment or thinking about starting a family all those things are really hard to do when you're working really hard on something and not getting paid much for it and you get through a lot of that by imagining on launch day that miracles will occur and you'll be able to do all those things you've been putting off and the i guess the examples i gave were fairly large but I still have – I was given like multiple Lego sets. I really like Lego. Um, okay. Or as a child at least, I enjoyed Lego a lot and still feel like I should and yeah. do. But I, I got Legos as presents and still haven't felt like I had earned the mm. um, sort of opportunity to play with them yet or even assemble them. Things like that where you – we feel like – because we're not making as much money because we're doing something we love that we have to sort of sacrifice other things and that may or may not actually be true but i think we feel that way or at least i do and so you end up in this weird state where you you put all this weight on a certain day when the game ships and and it's basically very unlikely to satisfy all of the Sort of desires you place on that single day. Mm-hmm. And, and we hear that even with games that are super successful, d- the developers still are depressed or not depressed, but even just in sort of a funk because you're going from working so hard on something to not working so hard on it. And, and there's this other aspect where y- I can read a really glowing review, but the only parts I actually internalize are the negative parts mm-hmm. because those are the things that I want to fix. The rest of it is just sort of like, well, duh, they like this thing because that's what I tried to do. But if there's something negative, then you got you really care about it and evaluate it. And so especially right after launch for about two weeks, you're going through that cycle of reading and trying to avoid reading um, everything written about the game or video reviews and all that. And then there's the other facet, which is sales and that's been sort of in the middle. Okay. The game is neither a hit or a flop, and um, that might contribute to that sort of malaise of sort of insecurity over the future. So, on the other hand, it's really hard. If, if you're not a flop, then there's m- way more money to be made when you go on sale or other platforms, but it's still terrifying to not know. Like, we, we, sort of built up launch day as the day when you learn all of these things. But really we just learned a whole bunch of review scores and then you wait for sales.
0: Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I only have a, a small insight into this from like some of the things I try to create. Like I have a blog and I write articles in this podcast and I get excited about interviewing folks like yourself and putting out the episode and trying to promote it and say, Hey, check this out. And there's this high that comes with like organizing that, You know, having these interviews, putting them out there, and then it's like you hit send, and then it's like, okay, are people going to listen to it? Are people going to read it? Are people going to comment on it? And then with how fast culture moves, it's Mm – especially in this like Twitter universe where it's just 24-7 nonstop, I just imagine it's scary that like a game or an article or a movie or an album or anything that you create just kind of comes and goes – And Mm -hmm. everyone moves on. And I think from a creator's standpoint, there is this cycle, like you said, of it can get depressing afterwards or kind of scary to be on the other side of that wave cresting.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and on top of that, there's so much weight put onto your launch or, or even other major marketing events. And it was really hard for us. We shipped on November 20th right before thanksgiving here in the u.s and that was either a really great calculated decision or a horrible decision or more likely somewhere in between where we were trying to avoid some of the other big games coming out on switch like doom um i think there was la noir and one other big game that was going to come out the week before and like two weeks before it was uh mario and so we're just trying to find like Where's the right spot to drop this game? And we thought, okay, well, it's a f- food game, so near Thanksgiving is sort of potentially a great idea, <laughs> right? Um, but it doesn't line up with when Nintendo likes their games to be released. Like, every each platform has their own day of the week, and so there's there's this risk. And and like you're saying, if you just get sort of tossed in the wash, um, you you might have just missed some opportunity, and you can't really make that up. But thankfully, we <clears throat> sort of wrote it to some degree. Um, we weren't pulled under by the riptide, and we're not exactly like flying out of water, but somewhere in the middle. And and that seems like a, a solvable problem. If you have good reviews and your sales are okay, then you can keep working on it and try to get another one of those marketing events, and maybe this one will hit at just the right time.
0: Yeah, I, you know, am certainly hopeful that the game reaches more people because i think it's again i haven't finished it yet but um i've just really enjoyed it so far just kind of find it to be a special experience um i think all the different gameplay mechanics are fun the world is just really interesting it's a game that makes me just kind of smile and laugh like non-ironically, <laughs>
1: which mm-hmm. I think that's something we really wanted yeah. to capture, but have no idea how to communicate that in a trailer.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's almost like something you have to sit down and just experience like, oh, okay, this is the vibe they're going for. And this is a vibe I need in my life right now. Um, mm-hmm. But it it's definitely something that that works for me. And I you know, wish you and the, the team all the success in the world. What is if you're able to talk about it? Like what is next, if anything, for Battle Chef Brigade? Is is this a world that you want to keep playing around in?
1: Absolutely, yeah. We we have really enjoyed our time in Victusia and want to continue. And we have a few more things that were sort of promised on Kickstarter. That was that was tough <laughs> figuring out what what promises to make before the game is really yeah. all all complete. Sure. So we have some more stuff that we're doing for Kickstarter, and then but we really want to as we were just talking about, hit a couple more marketing beats and there's always room for more platforms. So we're figuring that out now and we'll have announcements hopefully before too long about one of the first things we're doing. But yeah, we we really want to just sort of expand on this world that we've built. And there's so many characters to meet and spend more time with it. It would just be a shame not to go back in.
0: Well, yeah. And even some of the ideas that you talked about that were maybe scrapped along the way, Mm -hmm. like, that sounds kind of great, like, you know, traveling around and being waylaid by bandits. Like, all right, we're just going to throw down and cook off to see who wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. I could just see this world being something I would enjoy inhabiting for, I think I only have a couple chapters left in this game. So I, I mm-hmm. would be eager to, again, puns, devour new content. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Um,
1: how that's great to hear yeah
0: how how can people um if they have questions for you or the team what, what's the best way for them to to reach out to you
1: the absolute best way is on twitter which we now love by the okay. way
0: you're on board <laughs> now. Those years. you're, you're, you're yeah. no longer on the fence
1: yeah the, the best way is on twitter the game account is at battle Chef game and i'm at trinket tom and I am always on there, happy to answer any questions or tell people about the game.
0: And w- how can people uh, play the game, just to kind of get that nuts and bolts out there? How can they play it? How can they buy it?
1: Battle Chef Brigade is on Nintendo Switch and Steam and a whole bunch of other PC platforms like Twitch and GOG and a couple more that I forget. But the big ones are Steam and Switch, and we'll be coming to some more platforms this year. Okay, excellent.
0: And I can only vouch for you know been playing it on the switch in my recliner and on my couch after my son is asleep and i've just just thoroughly enjoyed it it's just been a really fun experience i'm looking forward to to finishing the game and i'll probably i'll probably try the difficult mode i don't know how well i'll be able to progress through that (laughs) but i I think i'll um see how well my, my cooking chops are going uh but for the folks listening it's It's a really fun, wonderful experience. I think it's a game that, like you said, it's maybe a little hard to describe in a trailer, but the voice acting, the art, I think the design, uh, just the different mechanics that come into play, it's a lot of fun, and it's something that's a little bit different from, like I said, games I've tried to play before, like Witcher 3 and Zelda and some of these other games that I enjoy, but it's just a different experience um, to play this game, and it's... um, uh, just recommend everyone just take a look at it um, and give it a try. So, um, any any final thoughts? Um, I saw that you tweeted out about the uh, SpaceX launch today. Did you get a chance to watch it? Oh, yeah, that, that was
1: exciting. Yep. Yeah. The, I think the uh, the Roadster Starman stream is still on my computer. So
0: that was amazing. <laughs> I'm going to
1: be checking out. Yeah, that was phenomenal.
0: I just When those two things landed side by side, I was like, how is that even possible? I don't even know how somebody would think that up.
1: Yeah, that was beautiful.
0: Um, so anything's possible. Go play Battleship Brigade. And, Tom, thank you for joining me here this evening.
1: Thank you so much, Michael.
0: Yeah, yeah thank you very much for your time.